0: Hello, everybody. I am Andrea Dorham, and uh, welcome to the Radical Life Podcast. Uh, I am the guest host today, and we have Marina Patrice Fair, who will be telling us about her module today. Cool. So, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, I'm Marina Patrice Fair.
1: My pronouns are they, them, and MP. I am the co-creator of the Radical Life Project. Uh, I also generally host this podcast. And uh, in my professional work, in addition to that, I am a yoga therapist and a Daring to Rest Yoga Nidra facilitator. Um, and my private practice, Sweet Perfection Yoga Therapy, I primarily work with folks who are feeling disconnected, disengaged, or disembodied. Uh, And I really love to serve folks that are working through milestones and transition, folks that are healing from interpersonal trauma, and folks during their family building uh, journeys. Specifically, I'm passionate about working with queer and trans folks uh, during their family building journeys. That's a little bit about my professional work for this um, particular project. I've created the REST module.
0: Okay, Um, And would you like to tell us, uh, A, a little bit about the rest module, but then B, about yourself and your social location? Sure. Um, Yeah, I'll start with the first question there. So the rest
1: module is uh, based on the Daring to Rest phases. So Daring to Rest was created by Karen Brody, who is the person that trained me, Uh, and it unfolds in three parts. So rest uh, is the first part which is uh, related specifically to physical rest and uh alleviating exhaustion in the physical body so that's the rest phase then it progresses to the release phase which is related to mental and emotional exhaustion and alleviating um mental uh causes of stress and um yeah and how they deplete us And then the third uh, phase is the rise phase and this is specifically related to alleviating what um, karen calls life purpose exhaustion and which i sometimes refer to as spiritual exhaustion Uh, so that's the daring to rest model and that's how this module is created it's um, each is uh each class in the module has a short um teaching component and then is followed by a yoga nidra meditation as well. So this is really a practice-based module where I encourage folks to practice the nidras you know, for over um, time in order to really get a embodied sense of what it means to rest. Uh, and in terms of my social location, uh, I'm queer, I'm white, I'm uh, larger bodied, which feels uh, important to name as a person who practices yoga because I don't think it's necessarily what we envision when we have this idea of someone who's a yoga teacher. Um, I am neurodiverse. I am uh, transgender and non-binary. Another identity that has been important to me is that I am a later in life parent, uh, and that has shaped my journey in significant ways as well. Yeah. Okay
0: um you know i've i've known you for a long time i think it's really um important to to talk about what brought you to yoga nidra and daring to rest and and rest in general could you tell us about that
1: sure i'm just i'm trying to think about where i want to start with that journey so um i have been practicing yoga since high school Um, I first began to practice yoga asana uh, when I was recovering from mono, um, and I, shortly thereafter, I had been taking um, Iyengar style classes, and um, I don't know a couple of months in, I, f- I learned about restorative yoga, and I attended a restorative yoga class, and I loved it. And then you know I sort of practiced asana intermittently throughout um, college, and. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of came to this like place in my mid thirties where like just there was a lot happening and I remembered how grounding yoga had been for me and I returned to yoga and also, um, you know, the physical practice didn't serve me in quite the same way as it used to. So I had I had gone back to practicing restorative and I was in a restorative class where someone taught a yoga nidra and I, I was like, oh, wild. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then still didn't quite like sink into the level of like, oh, I have to do that. Um, And then when I was, you know, um, struggling with my marriage and and moving through divorce, um, I went back to practicing yoga really extensively and went to yoga school to pursue my 200 hour um, and then decided to study further to become a yoga therapist and really in that sort of therapeutic model kept returning to this place of needing to rest myself and also feeling like everyone around me could use more rest and so in addition to my yoga therapy certification i decided to dive deeper into practicing rest and you know you may remember in 2016 i was very sick Mm -hmm. Um, i ended up needing to take a long-term medical leave from my job and at that point i um rediscovered yoga nidra and started practicing daily and really like carried that forward um, through, you know, uh, through many years of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Before I decided that I needed to get certified to be able to like share this with other folks. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there's a lot more
0: I could tell you there, but that's the. Well, I I do have a couple of follow-up questions. And one of the things that you mentioned is you thought that uh, many people around you, um, need address. so how how do you think this can support other people? Yeah, I mean, I think,
1: I don't know anyone who couldn't use more rest, and I, um, I know a lot of people like myself who are recovering perfectionists, maybe are not even recovering yet, maybe are still <laughs> just perfectionists, that um, really have gotten down the like drive, do, 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 um, and they're, they're really skilled at executing in that way, and, and that can be a really scary place to have someone mention rest. Mm-hmm. right there's I think a, a, for me rest was something that I considered fearful mm-hmm. right and um a place that it took me a long time to really settle into and there are still times where I find myself resistant to rest mm-hmm. and so was it was the question sort of like how can rest be of service or well,
0: how can yoga and rest serve others yeah I mean I think that
1: it is A place to slow down it's a place to really be able to hear and like listen to that internal voice for me it's a place to connect um with the universe in a in a big way and it also is a place um of reflection and and I will say also it's just a place of practice right and so I think that it is um I, I love this about yoga in general and all eight limbs of yoga is that like there is no way to perfect it. Like there is no way to like win at yoga. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it really is a place that I return to for practice without the expectation of getting better at it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think an invitation to a rest practice is really just an opportunity to show up and like lower your expectations in a way that, um, I think could be of service in the just down regulating, right? Like Mm -hmm. just the, um, yeah, just having it be a place that, um, can be a soft place to land. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for me, it has taken me some time to be able to be like, oh, I have a soft place to land inside myself. Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, it was an opportunity to cultivate that as Mm -hmm. well. Um, and I think I will just say it can be a, a, a different way of learning and being and doing to rest. Um, and so that journey is also, I think a lot of the, the juice of what, can happen with yoga nidra and i guess i'll just take a moment to specifically offer what yoga nidra is for folks that um are not practiced or not have not practiced or heard of it before it is a guided yogic sleep meditation Um, so it unfolds in phases and um moves through very specific like components in order to bring you into a deep place of rest and connection
0: okay And you talked about the juice of it. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about the juice of it? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh,
1: yeah. So for me, it really has been a place of transformation. It's helped me to reach quiet in a way that I have not personally been successful doing with like a stillness meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are many folks, right, who can sit down and just like, Sit in silence. And, you know, uh, I have a pretty significant trauma background. And so trying to come into a meditative state from there, that was not accessible for me. And so it was really exciting to find a kind of meditation where someone guided me through um, and I think that the some of the juice there for me is having an experienced guide take you. Right mm-hmm. for me, it's it's a container and it it's holding. Um, and to be honest, like these days, I listen to my own recordings. Okay. Right. So like I have um, been teaching, you know, uh, this particular kind of yoga nidra for several years. I have many recordings. Mm-hmm. And in the last um, several months, I've actually been using the recordings that I made for this project for mm-hmm. my own practice. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's really lovely for me to be held by myself in this like space of rest. Uh-huh. So uh, for me, the juices is, is like what unfolds in that process of coming into rest if um there's a particular component related to daring to rest where we listen for a soul whisper and we you know track those soul whispers and then use them for um particular like uh intention setting and things over time that i really i think it's just a beautiful method and so some of that also is just the way that i have come to practice this particular like um lineage of yoga nidra that has been meaningful to me as well yeah
0: well, I think the best advertisement that you can give t- for anything is that you use it yourself.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: And so, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that you use your own recordings because that's a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're drinking the juice you make. <laughs> you <know?
1: laughs> I think it's this idea of giving myself permission to rest, right? Which mm-hmm. is a thing that I, I, I give other people so freely and easily mm-hmm. that it, it does help me to hear
0: myself say, like, here, mm-hmm. have this gift. And actually, that's my next follow up question.
1: Tell me about permission. Oh, yeah, sure. So I think a lot of us have really received negative messages about rest over the course of our lifetimes, right? I know um, in my family, my father was a workaholic, really like got up early was drive. There was a lot of narrative around the myth of meritocracy right the idea that like people who are doing well in the world are doing well because they're working harder than other people and they're right they deserve Mm -hmm. what they get more than people who are not working hard in Mm -hmm. this way and so uh, you know I think that there was and also I mean I'll I'll talk about even like my life with my mother right like we were just sometimes struggling Mm -hmm. to even like get by right so there's also like a exhaustion that happens there when like mm-hmm. you're just really in the like drive of like trying to like you know um make the parts of your daily life happen right mm-hmm. and so in that like i really developed this mentality of like i'll rest when i'm dead right mm-hmm. like when i when you start unpacking those messages that you mm-hmm. have right and so we have these messages about being a good person if you work hard mm-hmm. right about being weak if you need to rest about mm-hmm. if right like so there's a lot of like messages there and it Took a while to like give myself permission to like put down those messages and try to mm-hmm. seek a different narrative and and you know mm-hmm. ask like was well, this the only way to think about rest and like mm-hmm. what if rest is really also a you know a form of deep repair mm-hmm. right that can really help me to. Unpack the messages that I literally received from my parents, but also like you know they received those from their parents, and like right, mm-hmm. and they're they're the messages that I'm getting at school about working hard and, mm-hmm. and drive and right, and so um, I had to sort of recognize that I was caught up in a a system of storytelling of, of mm-hmm. a narrative that was not one that I created and was not what I wanted to be generating mm-hmm. in order to give myself permission to rest. Mm-hmm
0: yeah and i particularly appreciate that because um in the book the four agreements um, you know don miguel ruiz talks about you need to be able to separate what's yours from what's out there Mm, and what's been given to you as you know the model of living Mm -hmm. or who you should be and i also appreciate in your module um i'm forgetting the woman's name now and she talked about her mother and the messages that she got from her mother because mm. her mother was a physician and but did they call her the white flash was it oh so this is mm. yeah this
1: is my dear friend uh Teresa Conroy who mm-hmm. is a yoga therapist and her mother was a podiatrist and mm. I'm trying to remember it was it might have been the white flash. It's it, it's something it related mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. her, like always being on the go in in, a her, white, in her doctor's right coat. White yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was a, that's a really powerful image in there, mm-hmm. and I, um, and I think that like for a lot of folks that are what I will call overachievers, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. that there is someone in your life. That you can mm-hmm. that you can look at and say like this is how they were the person I modeled my life on mm-hmm. right or mm-hmm. their values were a thing that like mm-hmm. really were deeply ingrained in me.
0: Yeah, and I also appreciated it because she talked about um, the situation where her mother was talking to her sister or yeah. her aunt and. Um, Basically, the sister said, oh, well, I'm just resting. To-. You know, the mother says, what are you doing today? And her sister said, well, I'm just resting today. And her mother, snide, like, go, oh, resting? She's yeah. just resting mm-hmm. today. And it was the whole idea that there was something wrong mm-hmm.
1: with yeah. resting. But I think that, I mean, there's a large cultural narrative around mm-hmm. that, right? That, like, mm-hmm. we rest when we're sick. We rest when, you know, we're injured sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But that the idea that we might rest as a practice of rejuvenation or as a a practice, a spiritual practice, Mm -hmm. right? A practice of resistance to all sorts of, you know, ideals, capitalist ideals, like white supremacist ideals, right? Like the idea that we might come into this as a a place of generativeness, Mm -hmm. right? I think is really contra to Mm -hmm. the messages that I know I've
0: received over my lifetime. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned spirituality there because the whole idea of the Sabbath mm. or the seventh day yeah. is all about rest. Or even, um, you know, in the Old Testament where they were required to let their grounds lie fallow mm-hmm. for a particular amount of time so that the earth could rejuvenate yeah. itself. And so that concept is in no way new, but, mm, yes, you know, what, what I see and and what i personally know is that somehow those messages get kind of toned down and the message of doing you know work all the time yes. it seems to be the thing that's yeah. that that's really at the forefront right now yeah and that that actually takes me into the next question that i i have for you because in going through your module you know one of the things you talk about as well as well as shame mm, yeah and so could you tell us more about that yeah I mean
1: I think it is in many ways related to permission there right is that Mm -hmm. we have these messages about when we're when we're supposed to rest right like Mm -hmm. when we're sick when we're dead when we're right that otherwise we should be engaged in in doing 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 Mm -hmm. a lot of the time and you know what happens for folks when they reach a place of burnout right Mm -hmm. um or when they reach a place of you know illness or they reach a place of just like spiritual breakdown from the like doing 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 is that there can be shame around needing to be a person who rests Mm -hmm. right and i think that that is um it's it's sort of like my mission to like counter that right Mm -hmm. to be like it really is um it is a joyful gift to be able to give yourself space to integrate things right and Mm -hmm. to like find um mm, find your way into like your own needs and meaning and you know and and to like really name that like that going 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 really has been for the benefit of capitalism Mm -hmm. right it really has been to advance a narrative Mm -hmm. where we become you know idealized workers right Mm -hmm. and what we can produce and create for others becomes more valued than the way that we are caring for and moving through the world and caring for ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, I do think of rest as a form of self-care, but I also think of it as a form of family care and of community care, right? Because if I'm so depleted that like everything I do, right, Mm -hmm. diminishes my life force, there becomes a point where I don't actually have any connection, life force, Anything mm-hmm. to build with other folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think of as you're talking, especially about family, and I do have some questions for you yeah. about that later on. But yeah, you know, I used to work in daycare when I was younger, mm-hmm. and uh, the most disturbing thing to me, especially when we're talking about living in an industrialized country and wow. a quote unquote first world country, is um, I remember that we got two three week old babies hmm. two yeah and both of their moms were required to go back to work mm-hmm. three weeks yeah. after giving birth and you know I was a teenager at the time but I thought in what world the does this make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: I think about how long it took you to make that person, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like you need at least that long mm-hmm. to like integrate the fact that now that person is outside of your body mm-hmm. and the way that your relationship to everything has shifted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
1: Three weeks is, I, I like, honestly, I would call that a crime.
0: And, and I, I certainly agree with you there. And, and what I remember is the, Fortunate thing for that daycare center is we had a couple of um, older women yeah. who had had children of their own, yeah. and I remember we had these big giant windows, and they would sit in rocking chairs, we also had rock and they yeah. would sit in the rocking chairs at the windows yeah. and rock these babies. Yeah, and I sincerely believe that those young, they were both girls, but I both believe they're not sociopaths today because mm-hmm. they got that connection. Yeah that they needed because their mothers had to go back to work it wasn't even like they couldn't even make the choice to stay home with their children without losing their source of income
1: and like think about just how exhausting and depleting it is in general to be the person be a person that works full-time right (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. and then layer onto that that your body has had this huge transformation twice right Mm -hmm. like I just yeah Uh, it's I think that the state of Uh, paternal leave in this country
0: is Mm -hmm. um, is criminal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, really, if if there's one of, I'm championing many things, but that's Mm -hmm. one of them because I just thought about those poor women and and having to go back to work when you're so exhausted to begin Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Um. So you know, moving out of shame. One of the things you also mentioned was that. You are a recovering perfectionist. Yeah. I often joke that I am spending my
1: adult life trying to become a type A minus. Um, I mean, I think that there are a lot of carrots and rewards to being a person who uh, expects perfection is an, is an overachiever, is always sort of moving on to that next thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um I have a lot of things I could say about perfectionism, so I want to make sure that I didn't, like, cut off your question there. No, please. No, and that's
0: why I left it open-ended, because I know you have a lot to say about it.
1: So, I mean, I think... I'm one myself. Yeah, right? I mean, I think this is the thing. (laughs) I I mean, for me, I will say it is, I think that pursuit of perfection is the single most life-stealing thing that I can say... Um, has happened over my lifetime, right? Is this belief that you can earn your worth externally, right? And that um, you can only do that if you do things perfectly, right? And that even when you manage to pull it off Mm -hmm. (laughs) and do something that other folks perceive has been done perfectly, it creates this, I think, addiction Mm -hmm. to then... what's the next thing I can achieve? What's the next thing I can do? What's the next, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it really, you know, um, we've been through many years of therapy and one Mm -hmm. of the things that my therapist, you know, said to me about my relationship to perfectionism was, what do you think it's doing to the people around you? Watching you have these impossible standards of yourself, what do you think it's doing to the people around you? Like, what do you think it's communicating to them about their worth Mm -hmm. and their, right. Um, And like, what do you think it's doing to your relationships, trying to always achieve these unreasonable ideals? Um, And that was a thing that I spent many years unpacking before I decided to have children. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Was like a place where I was just like, okay, I have to, I have to believe that I have worth, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Outside of the things that I can achieve and do, you know, um, and I want to be able to give that to the people around me, mm-hmm. and I can't do that until I've cultivated that sense in myself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any more? Or I think I'll pause there. Like okay. I, I think I mean I could say more, but I don't know that it would add anything <laughs> that hasn't already been said.
0: Well, I also want to kind of. Uh, take a component of that. Yeah. Um, and in terms of workaholism. Yeah. And the idea that it is one of the acceptable forms of addiction oh my gosh, in society. Sure. Can you speak to that at all?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's a place where we even treat it like it's not an addiction, right? Where there is so much um, reward. Mm-hmm. right like if we if we think about like other addictions right it, there is a lot of um stigma around them mm-hmm. and I think that that is not true with workaholism because we have these ideals around being you know the work ethic and being a hard worker and the myth of meritocracy right mm-hmm. this idea that like you're doing well because mm-hmm. your behaviors are mm-hmm. getting you there and I think that it is an invisible addiction in a lot of ways, right? Like people may be able to see that you are working too much, right? Mm-hmm. But very few people will say to you like, oh, that's harmful, mm-hmm. right? And um, I also, I think, I feel like the need to name that there are a lot of reasons why people work what I would call too much, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and a lot of them are economic, yep. right? So like, I don't want to... Um, diminish Mm -hmm. right that component Mm -hmm. but I also want to layer on top of that that there are some of us Mm -hmm. who derive our worth Mm -hmm. from uh Mm -hmm. the status of our work right Mm -hmm. From the reach of our work from you know what we earn for Mm -hmm. our work and also that um there are some of us for whom um the current achievement is never enough (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's like you do the thing, and then okay, what's next, and what's the next pinnacle, and what's the next what's the next promotion, what's the mm-hmm. next right. Um, and that, like, we've been trained into that, at least here where I was raised in the mm-hmm. United States, like, from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Be a good producer, be a good, you know, mm-hmm. cog in the machine, do the mm-hmm. things well, right? And then I think they are very closely related, mm-hmm. workaholism and perfectionism, mm-hmm. because you get rewarded, mm-hmm. right, for um, for doing the things well, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of, sort of conflicting feelings around mm-hmm. that because in many ways, like I have the life I have
0: mm-hmm.
1: because of the the things that I have done, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in some ways, I also feel really like I probably would still have an amazing life if we had like a universal basic income and like, mm-hmm. right, everyone had the ability to take care of their fundamental needs mm-hmm. before... Mm -hmm. you know deciding what their work in the world was Mm -hmm. and I you know I have this like I think imagining of like people really being more in vocations and avocations Mm -hmm. right than in careers and work because like that's what they're good at right Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work over my lifetime that I was skilled at and good at but that brought me very little like joy to do Or that the pieces of it that brought me joy were so diminished by the other components and the bureaucracy and whatever else that was happening where I was working, that 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 addiction to work still like actually rarely ever brought like the high that we think of with addiction. Mm -hmm. Does that
0: make sense? Does that square at all with your experience? Yeah, I think it does. But the other thing that, you know, when you're speaking to an immigrant, yeah. <laughs> like a sure, you know, yeah. full-blown immigrant, yeah. um, so, you know, an immigrant communities, work is a, a very, very important thing. Yeah. Um, I also think, just going back to shaming for a bit, um, how colonialism affected those things because, like, you know, whether you were in the Caribbean where I'm from, or but particularly in the United States, that... The people who did the most work were shamed and called lazy. Yes. You know, yes. and I don't know if you've ever walked through a sugar cane field mm. or been in a cotton field. They're not pleasant places. No. And the people who did the hardest work and the most work and produced, you know, the the means of the economic yes. supremacy that happened with colonialism uh, were then shamed for doing all that hard yes. work. And God forbid... Um, I know there there was a time in the Caribbean, um, both among enslaved people, but then later on in denture, where once you stopped producing, if you could no longer yes. work, um, there were laws that uh, would not allow people, they would not feed you the the people you worked for, or no. if you were enslaved, the owners would not feed you but there were laws that forbid other people to feed you mm. so you could die of starvation and they yeah. did die of starvation um, juxtaposing it with the workaholism where people are you know in in those situations whether it's indenture or enslavement you are forced to work yes and then your value is you just keep on that treadmill mm-hmm. but then it translates in into the colonialists pushing yes. that even for themselves in a very different way, but you know, creating that mental paradigm mm-hmm. of work is worth. Yes. And not work as in, okay, we need to do the things to survive mm-hmm. and even to thrive, but working yourself to the point of death. Yes. Um, I don't know if you know the statistic, but Monday mornings are the number one time for heart attacks in the United States.
1: I did not know that, but it doesn't surprise me. Like, I would say, I would guess that, you know, most people's depression, like, you know, uh, situational depression peaks on Sunday evening, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. yeah, and that anxiety and stress of having to get up and do it again, that doesn't Mm -hmm. surprise me at all. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the piece that you've brought in about colonialism and about how, um, you know, I'll talk about it from a a whiteness perspective, Mm -hmm. right? About how, you know, white people have really harmed and driven other bodies to exhaustion mm-hmm. and um human inhumanity in a, a number mm-hmm. of ways right and that somehow then this has also created this ideal around um work being some of the ways that we are reinforcing white supremacy mm-hmm. right like even uh, among white people right mm-hmm. as, a, as a way of training people to think mm-hmm. about their worth and other people's worth Mm -hmm. right and i think that it's um i think it's pervasive and i think it's not a thing that we uh talk about enough right the ways that um capitalism and colonialism Mm -hmm. are are like i mean they're interwoven right but they're they're just they're married to each other and sleep in the same bed (laughs) they're like deeply reinforcing right and then you know the all of these ways that um, you know Americans don't want to talk about race, right? But it is an economic driver, and it is you know we've seen over you know hundreds of years really at this point what happens with generational wealth or doesn't happen, right? And one of the things that I think a lot about when I talk about rest, right, is also who has access to rest, who has access to leisure, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we talk about these things? And I, I'm still practicing this, mm-hmm. right? I'm still learning this and unlearning mm-hmm. this, right? How do we talk about these things in ways where everyone can go, oh, that's for me, mm-hmm. right? And and we can make rest accessible, mm-hmm. right, um, across you know, particularly I'll, I'll talk about across like economic status, mm-hmm. right? Because we know that there are people who mm-hmm. don't ever have space to rest. Mm-hmm. Or I won't say they don't have space to rest because I think people make a lot of space for themselves and things that uh, that they're not granted. Like, mm-hmm. But I think that, it, that we have designed our economic and social systems to um, make sure that some people are always – in the hustle and the grind, right? Yeah. And that other people are benefiting from that. And I think that the the turn of workaholism there is interesting, right? Because you have people that are, you know, basically continuing to enslave economically mm-hmm. other folks and then are also driving themselves very hard as well. Like we have a, you know, a small sort of owning class at the top, but like right. the vast like middle mm-hmm. and, you know... Um, it are still folks that re- are reinforcing that for themselves in the values that they've internalized. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, if we, we look at our political situation, and I'm not talking about either side, yeah. I'm talking about the underlying things. Look at the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Look at who had to keep going to work. Yes. You know, look at health care. Mm-hmm. Look at who has it and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. And how many people had to keep going to work to maintain their health care. Right. Um, you know... Or, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it is criminal to put a child into daycare at three weeks. Mm-hmm. Their immune systems haven't mm-hmm. even kicked in yet. Let's let's just talk about general humanity. Sure. You can't do that in other places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I do believe we've enshrined workaholism, mm-hmm. and we can call it many different things. Sure. And... Even the whole idea of kind of twisting it and enshrining um, the hard worker, Mm. but the hard worker that is still making $15 an hour, you know, in a market where um, housing is impossible to find if you make that. And even me growing up, I you know my parents both sometimes worked two jobs, mm-hmm. and I'm the oldest, so that meant I had to do right. a lot of the parenting and a lot of the things. But it's, right, so you had a full time job as well. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, just survival and yeah. what that means in the overall economy and yeah. in the overall space. So I I really do appreciate this and appreciate looking at rest as something that we need as human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, and that as much as we want to enshrine the things that come from capitalism and of course colonialism, yeah. the truth of the matter is, you know, we're still the people dying at nine o'clock on Monday morning. Yeah. Both men and women, because I think that's you know, yeah. and and all of how people are gender identified, it actually doesn't matter. People are still dying.
1: Mm. Yeah, that there that there is a pervasive harm that is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I want to switch gears just a little bit here. Sure. Um, and how has yoga and rest affected your identity? Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, I think that a lot of my identity was tied to my job, you know, and a, a lot of my worth was hung up there. Um, And then I got sick, right? And I was away from my job for six months and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to return to my work and, you know, and a lot of things had shifted at my work when I, right? So I think rest was the place that um, I struggled against, right? Um, And that really started helping me look at the ways that I was seeking external validation, (laughs) Right. So I guess there's one piece there, like just sort of shaping like where I thought my value came from. So that's, I guess, one piece I'll say. Um, And then, you know, in terms of my identity, um, you know, I developed this desire to build a family and to to grow our family. And, um, you know, rest really was the seed of that. Right. Like it was it created the space for me to think bigger Mm -hmm. right and to imagine a fuller life that you know was was filled with other things and um, you know so being a parent is a is a big identity for me at this Mm -hmm. point in my life and so that would not have happened for me without rest. Um, and I will also say like in my postpartum period, I have still needed what felt to me like a surprising amount of rest. I have a tremendous amount of support in my household from my partner and my mother-in-law. And so I I felt like I had a lot of space and other folks to care for, um, for Harper. And I also felt like I still needed a tremendous amount of rest. And I I also had a lot of guilt around that and right. And like Mm -hmm. what it means to be a a good parent and how involved you are and Mm -hmm. how, you know, um, so that piece. And then also, you know, in the mix of that also really coming into my own gender affirmation journey, which I don't think would have been possible. One, when I was working myself so hard, mm-hmm. and two, without just the space to like rest and settle and integrate and and go. Okay, I'm I'm ha- I've had this experience of parenthood, and I I don't feel like a, a mother. And I you know I spent a lot of time unpacking that, and you know um, I started to study prenatal yoga, right? Mm-hmm. And then my experience in prenatal yoga was really jarring, and it made me really start unpacking like how it was making me feel with my gender identity and. Mm-hmm. Um, So, I mean, all of those things, I mean, those are all sort of identity-related pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will also say that also in my postpartum period, I had an an exacerbation of a chronic illness, which then um, actually led finally to a diagnosis um, where I understood what this illness is. But um, even that, like the identity of being a person who is not able-bodied... Has been really challenging for me to integrate and is, you know, I'm, I will probably for a long time be unpacking like internalized ableism and, um, and. So sort of like shifting that identity as well. Like what if I'm not a person who ever can work full-time in the way that I worked before I was pregnant? And what if I'm, you know, and my partner was always like, well, that would be great if you're not that <laughs> person. Like just, you know, like, well, hooray for, like that your life has evolved and changed in such a way that that is, you know, not what you're seeking. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it is, um, yeah. I mean, I think that it, for me, it has helped me to, relocate my worth, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that is still an iterative process, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that um, shift from external validation to internal validation, um, you know, is happening in mm-hmm. real time and, and has been happening for a while and like will continue to need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so just I would say also it has brought me closer to feeling an embodied sense of wholeness Mm. um, which really had eluded me for a long time Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and that's a big thing
1: yeah it's tremendous and i feel like it's it's hard to even like name it in like a sentence and like have the gravity of it like really be felt but yeah
0: yeah another thing that you mentioned um and, and that i specifically want to ask about because i know part of your work is about fertility yeah. and uh particularly non-binary mm-hmm. uh fertility how how did rest inform that journey and also the work of it yeah because both your personal and then expanding yeah. it out
1: so there yeah there are two questions in there and i'm gonna i made myself a couple of notes about it so sure, i'm gonna yeah. like flip so that i can sort of keep it concise um so the first is really just you know yoga nidra really was a tremendous tool for me to navigate the challenges of my fertility journey. Um, yoga nidra was really an anchor. It was a place of of hope and faith. It was a place that I could keep returning to. Right okay. in yoga nidra, we use uh, an intention, um, sankalpa, and for me, it was this mantra about, um, it, it was, I'm filled with vitality and fueled by grace, mm-hmm. right? It was really, it was the imagining of of growing a life and a person, but also of being filled with this sense of like universal grace and being held in a space where I was co-creating, but where I was not like the, where I didn't have to be the, the driving force of everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would just say that Yoganidra became a really uh, had a different whole layer of importance in terms of the ritual of caring for, um, myself and, you know, my, my future person. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And finding grounding there during, um, my fertility journey. And then like, you know, fertility journeys are not easy. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so our, our first embryo transfer was not successful. Mm -hmm. And, um, It was devastating. Like, I hadn't really prepared myself for the possibility that, like, once we had done all of these other things and we had created embryos, that, like, it wasn't going to just immediately work, right? And so, um, you know, my yoga nidra practice also became a place of solace, right? It was a, a place to literally rest from all of the narratives and things that were happening um, and it was a place where I really did believe that I was co-creating. And so I still like, I, I kept with this mantra and I mm-hmm. I just really, um, it showed up in a space of like believing that I had the internal and external resources mm-hmm. to, um, to bring this dream to fruition. But it was, you know, and I was still like, I was working a lot. It was really like stressful. It was You know, um, often I would, like, drive to work really early in the morning to miss traffic so I could, like, lay on the floor in my office and practice my yoga nidra before Mm. I sat at my desk and started my day. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, I laid down and I rested and oh, it wasn't that nice. Like, no, it was I, like, squeezed it into pockets and I really had to get very intentional about how to organize you know, the actual like flow of where I needed to be, when and how. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found from where we lived was that if I left like a half hour later, mm-hmm. I actually, it took me like 45 minutes more to get to work. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. so I was just started being like, okay, well, how can I, how can I fit this in to what else is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, I guess I was just like integrating this like place of rest um, was really urgent for my fertility journey. And there was a second part to your question, and I don't recall what it was.
0: I'll ask that second question in a second, but because one of the things that that you're bringing up and and that I saw in your module was, you know, that you have to be intentional, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have an intention but then if you don't actually pay attention and create Mm, the space for that and that's what I hear you saying yeah that you were intentional about it and then you gave the attention to what was needed Mm -hmm. so that you could have that space to do the rest
1: yeah that pairing of intention and attention Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's true it it was um and I think that that pairing for me really was what made me believe that I was in the co-creation process Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah and you know I know that that's important and I've known you long enough, but also a little bit about the practice that yeah. it, it really requires you to focus your attention mm-hmm. there. First you intended, but then you really do have to focus mm-hmm. your attention there as opposed, Oh yeah, I'll get rest at some point or I'll rest when I die. As, or, yeah, you
1: know. no, for sure. And you know, like I'm still prone to overwork. I'm mm-hmm. still prone to overcommitting. I'm still like, mm-hmm. it is lifetime's work, right. Mm-hmm. To like yeah. keep bringing myself back, you know, mm-hmm. and for me, it really has been, I'm so grateful that I have a tool mm-hmm. that I that works for me, mm-hmm. right? That when I bring myself back over and over again, I have a way to do it. Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then the, the second part of the question, I'm sorry for asking you, you know, compound questions yeah, no. like that, but so for others on a fertility yeah. journey, what would you say about?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I would say from my own experience and the folks that I... Know and have had the pleasure of being in relationship with that um, many of them are also overachievers and like have really um, they know in other areas of their life like what to do when and how and like there are the things that like you have gotten skillful at doing right mm-hmm. and that fertility doesn't work like that I mean there are a lot of things that people will tell you if you eat this if you do that yeah. if you take the supplement if you remove this right. But there is no like uh, there is no amount of overdoing, mm-hmm. right? That is going to help you achieve that, mm-hmm. right? And so, what I think yoga nidra and rest can offer is a container to explore your relationship with having a body, right? We know that not all fertility journeys are successful, so your ex- your relationship of grief. As you're going through your fraternity journey, whether or not you get to become a parent, right? Whether or not you get to become a parent in the way that you expected, right? That there is a lot that is happening for folks that there is just not a very, um, there's no concrete, like if you do A, B, C, and D, you'll be successful, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, what I think rest offers is a container to hold all of that. Mm-hmm. What I particularly think that like daring to rest offers is we typically do it in like a forty day cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it gives you space to really be with something over time and to um, to listen to yourself over time and to see what's happening for you and then also to figure out if. What's happening for you is actually in service to what you want to be creating or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just personally, it's really hard for me to hear and figure out if I'm in service to what I want to be creating without creating a dedicated space to step away Mm -hmm. and
0: turn within. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so basically what you're saying is a, a big part of this is also just connecting with yourself. Uh, Yes, I think that is true.
1: And I I will also say that for me, part of why I'm passionate about working with queer and trans folks Mm -hmm. around this is because there are a lot of additional factors related to fertility and related to in general, like going to a doctor and having to be seen in a medical facility and rarely ever being like treated correctly or like gendered correctly or right. Like just Mm -hmm. that there's a whole other layer of stressors that are happening. Mm -hmm. Right. There are, you know, you're in spaces, like even like prenatal yoga spaces and things, right. Where people are making assumptions about like your partnership and what kind of family you have and what your identity is. And so for me, it's also creating a place of like a respite. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's really offering a space to hold folks, um, both in the rest practice, but also just in their wholeness and and with someone mm-hmm. who who sees layers of your identity that are not being supported or um, the other spaces are not being
0: created specifically to hold you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, in addition to that, tell me about the relationship between rest and parenting yeah so
1: i have a really i have an important memory related to my pregnancy it was near the end of my first trimester Mm -hmm. um i was really busy at work like it often Mm -hmm. was right um and i um, I worked in higher education finance, so we had a spring break coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And I was I was quite sick with an upper respiratory, you know, mm-hmm. event happening there. And I I was like, you know, I know I'm sick, but like, I only have three more days of work, and then I have this whole week off, and I'll just spend the week resting. Mm-hmm. Like somehow that powering through that we we can make up for rest on the other side, which like in my own experience has never been true. So like, I don't know why still here Mm -hmm. I was doing this, but I, um, because I'm also an asthmatic, anytime I get an upper respiratory thing, the concern Mm -hmm. is that it might move down into my lungs. And so I'm always trying Mm -hmm. to treat it early. And so I, you know, I went to see um, my allergy and asthma doc, and uh, my MP said to me, Hey, you know, I, I hear that you're like really resisting, like stopping right now and resting. And I just like, I know Mm -hmm. that, like, your pregnancy has been something that is hard won, Mm -hmm. right? Like, something Mm -hmm. that you have really wanted and that you have, you know, really um, been trying to create in your life for a long time, and it took up a lot of space to do that. And it just doesn't sort of seem like you're letting it take up the space it needs to take right Mm -hmm. now, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was just like, if if this, like, progresses into a larger illness and you need to take medication and a number of things, like there are that becomes riskier for mm-hmm. both your health and you know your pregnancy and she was just like you need to stop today like you don't don't need to work three more days before mm-hmm. you can take a week off to rest like I know how important this is to you and I'm just reflecting that back to you I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reminding you like there was no like judgment about like morally like you should be doing like it was just like hey I'm reflecting back to you this thing that like I know to be true for you mm-hmm. over the course of our relationship, which is that like this, pregnancy is really important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, you know, I texted a doctor's note to my boss and to HR and I turned off my phone and I put my computer away and I got in bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, you know, that maybe sounds like, Oh, I just did these things. But like I had a lot of like judgment about myself and think like what that meant about me. Right. Um, and then I chose to believe that what it meant about me was that parenting was really important to me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so I, you know, I laid down, I practiced Nidra, you know, every day and I don't know, a day or so in, I had this like really clear insight during my Nidra that my job was harming me Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. way that like, I mean, probably everyone around me had seen for (laughs) a long time, Mm -hmm. right? But like enough so that like when I got out of bed after my practice, I went down to talk to my partner and I was like, my job is harming me and he was like yeah yeah I know mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know like uh, mm-hmm. yeah that's it's clear like you know I've, I've sort of been waiting for you to be in a place where you can mm-hmm. see this right because I don't know if you've had the experience of someone trying to tell you something that you're not ready to hear <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> thankfully my partner is well-bounded and just like mm-hmm. knows like that this is a you know and so you know in the course of that conversation like we started making plans like we were like okay like um this is not the life that I want to have while I have a young child. And it's, you know, um, you know, really within days of that, the pandemic broke out and we Mm -hmm. ended up moving our office. Everyone from our offices moved to our home offices. Mm -hmm. And while that brought its own whole set of stressors, what it also opened up for me was the space to spend that time. I used to spend commuting, resting and journaling and Mm -hmm. like, really deeply tapping into this vision of like, what does it look like on the other side of this job? Like, what does it mm-hmm. look like uh, to create and shape the kind of life that I, I want to have? And, you know, I waited quite some time to have children, mm-hmm. right? You no, know, I was in my late 30s before mm-hmm. I met my partner and our twins. And then in my early 40s, by the mm-hmm. time I had, um, you know, our youngest child. And mm-hmm. so it's, um, some of that is that I had because of that right mm-hmm. I had put a lot of things in place right mm-hmm. in terms of my own care and understanding that it, it really felt possible to go okay I have to make a huge shift right mm-hmm. and um, you know from there when I um, went back from my paternal or for, from my uh, parental leave I ended up retiring from a 17 year career in higher education finance. And Mm -hmm. that was not an easy decision. It was not like it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just going to retire. But like from here, it really, it was an easy decision in terms of the trajectory I was on and the way that I wanted to be with my kids. You know, my older kids, you know, would often say to me when I was working from home, I miss you. Like, I don't like I don't right like by the time I was in my third trimester, I was working like 60 plus hours a week during my third trimester. And like my older kids would say, like, I miss seeing you. Like we were in the same home. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was also like that's not the kind of parent I wanted to be, mm-hmm. you know. Um And my circumstances were such that, like, it's not the kind of parent I needed to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that I, I had the privilege to be able to make some choices that I hadn't been making up until that point. Mm. And, you know, I will say my partner was very wise, you know, he, he already had twins, <laughs> like he had lived through this. And, you know, he had said to me like pretty early on, like you need to take, like leave two weeks before your pregnancy, like b- before your due date, like you mm-hmm. really need to give yourself. Um, and I spent that time practicing. me. I was practicing Nidra when I went into, when I went into labor, right? Like I spent that time, trying to figure out how to find my way into rest as comfortably as you can when you're so Mm -hmm. pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. And then also just um, like, Reeling in, like, it, like gathering my resources, right? Mm-hmm. Because they had been so externalized, with them, uh, many of them going to my job, that I was really, I'm so grateful that he knew that, like, I was going to need that time and space to, like, mm-hmm. you know, replenish myself so that I could have the experience of giving birth to our child, because mm-hmm. that was a, it was a big uh, expenditure of energy, right? Like, it was, it's a, like, it's a real, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a real big thing, yeah. And flowing from the parenting, Mm. tell me about, oh, I'm, you know, I just realized that I didn't talk about what it's like as a parent now. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to take a minute and just also say that in order to be, uh, in a supportive relationship with my kids, right. And that Mm -hmm. like, you know, takes a lot of, um, calibrating and recalibrating. Mm -hmm. I also really need a daily rest practice. In order to show up in a way where I'm resourced to be in a relationship with other people, mm-hmm. um, especially people that like really you're shaping their worldview
0: mm-hmm. in
1: a way that I think is different than interacting with mm-hmm. adults, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're showing them what is important by the way that you show up Mm -hmm. and you know so often what i will do is like i will wake up and then i will rest before i get out of bed Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i will you know i'll wake up and then i will do my yoga nidra practice and then i'll journal for a little bit and i i know for myself i am better resourced to be in connection with my children. If I do that before I get out of bed, mm-hmm. then often I'll, I'll end up doing it in a different way and I'll, I'll get up and we'll walk the kids to school and I'll do a bunch of other things before I lay down to rest. Mm-hmm. And I know that I show up differently if I have fueled myself with rest before I try to interact and, um, it's just like it's a, it's not even a judgment about myself in terms of sometimes I literally just can't. There's just not enough time and space mm-hmm. to do it before I get out of bed. but um, rest makes me a, a better parent, right okay. um, mm-hmm. And I think that it um, it helps me to feel more grounded in myself and then less uh, attached to the way that my children are interacting and behaving, mm-hmm. right. Um, not in a sense that I'm not like shepherding and like, but like that it, it's, that it's not personal in the way that it it can feel more personal if I haven't taken the space for myself to rest.
0: So basically it gives you the internal resources to parent. Yes. I think that's true. Is that a way of putting yeah. it? But well, you can't in glove with that is how does it look with your partner?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that. My partner has always been, in the time that I have known him, uh, just much better at managing his energy and resting. And, you know, my partner uh, is a homemaker and has been for the entire time that we have been in relationship with each other. And so um, I think he just really has a better sense of like how much energy it takes to run a household and what that means in terms of needing to replenish and care for himself. And, you know... I can say that over the course of creating this project, we both got very caught up in like trying to complete this project, mm-hmm. and like we're not resting as much, and we're like you know he had a lot less time for his like hobby, which is mm-hmm. you know I will say his recreation as opposed to rest, but it is a place for him where he like really like comes down right. Mm-hmm. Um, And, like, we could see it on each other, right? Mm -hmm. Is it's, like, you just – you see that, like, oh, working so hard without making space to, like, replenish is not a sustainable way to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, he's also, for me, just the way that he moves through the world, like, he inspires me in a lot of ways. And his Mm -hmm. relationship to rest as, like, not being tied to worth or, you know, in Mm -hmm. any way Mm -hmm. has really helped me to, Mm -hmm. like – uh, give myself permission to rest more mm-hmm. yeah I, I feel like there's more I could say there but that's probably enough I also am being mindful of how long we've been speaking too so okay all right
0: well talk to me about it in relationship to mental health and physical health
1: yeah I mean I think let's start uh, with
0: mental health and then we'll
1: yeah in terms health. of mental health right that's how I came to rest was like mm-hmm. literally like urgently needing to like find a way to navigate this health crisis um and i think that for me it does really you know um lead me to a greater sense of mood stability Mm -hmm. to have certain like rituals and things that i do to care for myself so like practicing my yoga nidra is one of them like moving my body out in the world Mm -hmm. like going for a walk and getting to the woods when i can and Mm -hmm. right Um, making space to connect with my partner on a regular basis like there are a whole series of things that I use to manage my mental health Mm -hmm. right and and this one is really for sure a core practice and I will say that like I know based on the way that my mood moves Mm -hmm. if it's been too long so like it's I ideally I practice daily and sometimes it doesn't happen like that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's been like a couple of days or a week and then i go oh i don't like the way i'm behaving right Mm -hmm. like i don't like the way i'm feeling um and so for me it really is a core practice Mm -hmm. um that helps me to maintain and manage my mood stability
0: so basically it shores up your bandwidth
1: i think that's a great way to say that yeah okay yeah what about physically
0: so because I there's mean, a lot of ableism involved yeah i mean and-
1: yeah and i mean i think that like we can just talk about like one what it was like to be pregnant like i just like there was no way to not rest more like mm-hmm. there just like like you like i just ran out of energy mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that i had never known before mm-hmm. but there was like literally just a point where like things stopped like i was just like okay i'm just laying down right like <laughs> i just have to like right mm-hmm. um and that was easier because I knew like intellectually, like, oh, I'm creating a person. Mm-hmm. Like, so I have to be resting in order to have enough energy to do this. I think really in my postpartum period in the time, particularly since I have been living with an exacerbation of this illness, I've needed more rest. And I have still a hard time like gauging when to rest before I've passed. Mm-hmm. Right. Right like it in many ways i think sort of knowing where the boundary is of like how Mm. much i can do before um i've passed that boundary right um but because there are a lot of things i still want to be able to do right one of the ways i have to manage my physical health is to rest and Mm -hmm. so you know sometimes that literally means like getting in my bed and putting a pillow under my knees and like like sitting there with my laptop if there are things that feel like they really still need to be done Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's really just like trying to figure out like how can i what can i do to stop and turn off Mm -hmm. so one of the things i've done in the last couple of days and it's really just a new practice is like there was something happened in my phone that like when they upgraded it like the the sleep thing happens Where when you have it, where I have my phone on sleep, it now goes black and white at a point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of my neurodivergence is that I have a real, like, visual and, and spatial, like, specific things. Mm-hmm. So if things don't look the way I'm expecting them to, it's mm-hmm. really jarring. Mm-hmm. And so this has actually caused me to turn off my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, I have now set my phone so that I, it is in, like, you know, sleep mode from 9 p.m. until 7 a.m., and so I am often up much later than that, but what I've found is because this is so jarring for me, I will literally turn off my phone. Um, and so I, um, it has given me a lot more space to rest mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, like I'm just like, I'm powering down and sometimes I do, I end up getting on my laptop and doing other things, but I've been really trying to figure out like how can I have more space between my work and my sleep. <laughs> right Right. Mm -hmm. and so that has also been helpful for my physical health
0: Mm -hmm. and my mental health really Mm -hmm. both of
1: those things
0: yeah okay who are some of the influences that you have in terms of
1: yeah rest I so Mm -hmm. I made a list also just so I don't like forget Mm -hmm. some folks that are really important to me sure so you know I have mentioned that I'm trained in daring to rest with Karen Brody Mm -hmm. and that has um just the way that that program unfolds over mm-hmm. rest, release, and rise has really shaped my understanding of rest. Um, and then I will also say I'm I'm really influenced by the writing of Octavia Rahim mm-hmm. and her work around rest. And then also just the activism and action of Trisha mm-hmm. uh, Hershey mm-hmm. of the Nap Ministry. Um, just the way that she conceives of, communicates rest, but also takes it into community action um Mm -hmm. is really um shapes my understanding in big ways uh she's recently published a book rest is resistance and i'm super excited as we wrap this podcast for the season like december is my space that i have been holding for myself to to be able to really sit and have like a nourishing conversation with that book it means a lot Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. Um, there are also several people that have really shaped my understanding of yoga and my desire to participate in community around yoga and so some of those folks are uh, the folks at accessible yoga both of mm-hmm. the, the folks that work there and you know serve on their board but also the folks that they're bringing into um, their monthly conversations um, are really shaping my understanding right now uh, jacoby ballard's book a queer dharma has been really helpful for me in, in terms of contextualizing a lot of things um, Yeah, uh, Natalia Tabilo at Yoga for All Bodies has really just, uh, I think, has a really lovely approach that um, has shifted my thinking about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And then I will also name that just uh, Tristan Katz and the the work that they're doing, as well as the work that their work introduces me to that other people are doing, has been really uh, influential. And then um, specifically in the way that I tie all of these things to my thinking about fertility and mm-hmm. reproductive justice, I really feel like I need to name Kingya there, mm-hmm. uh, specifically Kingya's birthing beyond the binary course and mm-hmm. queer and trans reproductive loss support, but also just Kingya's their definition of reproductive justice mm-hmm. has really expanded my understanding and has really helped me to come better into understanding with myself in terms of intersections of identity Mm -hmm. and also then broadening my understanding to other people's intersecting Mm -hmm. identities Mm -hmm. so those are some of the people that are influencing my thoughts about rest and how they relate to yoga and yoga therapy okay is there
0: anything else that you'd like to share with
1: us i think i'm feeling pretty complete i feel like i have yeah i feel like we've talked about like a wide range of things i appreciate Mm it
0: okay well the final question is uh what is your vision for Radical Life? Yeah,
1: so my vision for Radical Life, I had to write this one down because um, I've heard so many beautiful things, you know, from from folks over the course of this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. We're like 14, 15 episodes in. Um, so I had to sit with this and reflect on it. And I, uh, I'm i going to look at my nose on that one sure. because I really... It took me a while to get like to distill it. Mm -hmm. So I will say that my vision for a radical life is one where the iterative process of learning, being, and becoming shapes me into a person of faith and action and beauty. Um, Mm -hmm. And that where my life um, has me skill building in ways where I'm able to use my strengths to be of service um, and to be able to do, you know, repair and revision as needed. Um, okay. And, you know, I think that bringing that heart you know, really to this creation process, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are really offering learning and coaching to help people skill build, Mm -hmm. right? My hope is that this um, project will be in service, right? That people hear something here on the podcast that serves them that they can take away, that they, you know, learn something in the module that really shapes the way that they're being and serving and helps them to build their strengths in -hmm. ways that allow them to be of service. Um, And I'm just going to look and see if there was anything else that I want to say here. Mm, I think just that for me, a radical life is also a life where I feel like I'm in right relationship with the people and things around me and where I feel Mm well-bounded and rested and in awe and grateful. uh, And, you know, a growing edge for me is and where play becomes more of a core value uh in like where you can see it in my lived experience of my values mm-hmm. as opposed to my aspirational values mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that's that's my vision for a radical life well
0: thank you so much for sharing rest with us
1: oh, thank you so much for <laughs> your thoughtful questions and um you know this is our season finale of the mm-hmm. podcast and so also just i'm really grateful for everyone that I've had the opportunity to speak with over the course of the season and to the folks that have been listening and viewing um, and allowing me into their minds and hearts and allowing our guests to help shape their experiences. So thank you all. Thank you for joining us. Head over to our website at radical.life to sign up for your free Radical Life Starter Kit. Our website is r a d i k a l dot L-I-F-E. Today's episode was hosted by Andrea Durham. The Radical Life podcast is produced by Marina Patrice Fair and edited by Cassidy Baer. Our theme music was created by Mark Meezy. Radical Life is a co-creation with Manjot Singh Khalsa and Radical Healing. Connect with us on social media radical with a k. We're on Instagram at radical underscore life underscore 22 and Facebook at radical life maybe you've heard us say that our weekly podcast guest is a module leader and you've wondered what that's all about radical life the manual for optimal beingness is a holistic self-paced learning and coaching program for people seeking an optimized experience of being human we focus our program around 14 verbs breathe cleanse clear connect create do intuit meditate move nourish rest, stretch, strengthen, and think. Each of these verbs makes up one module of the manual, which was created by a module leader who we believe embodies that verb. The manual for optimal beingness is ideal for people who've already done some healing work with a therapist, a healer, or on their own, and who are feeling pretty well grounded and stable, but really want to grow into their next iteration of themselves. We found that most people have areas of support and skill building that they still want to cultivate. Our Connect module leader has described this as progressing from functional to fabulous. Learn more about Radical Life, the manual for optimal beingness, over on our website at radical.life.